0: Obviously, you have a hot uh, uh, coach right now. Um, In between, I know this week is SC championship game. You're focused on that. But from in between that and the recruiting, is there a time where you're going to sit down with Coach Brady and kind of map out what the future looks like for him at LSU since there's a lot of programs that are probably going to be wanting to speak with him? We'll step
1: ahead. I think we're in good shape. You know, you want that. You want that with a lot of – your assistants. You want them to have uh, a lot of success and go on, but we're going to compete. And, you know, we have a plan in place, and uh, I think we're in good shape. Hey everyone, welcome to the latest edition of Hey Fighting Podcast, the official podcast of LSU football. I am Cody Worsham, digital media reporter for LSU Athletics. Got a great episode for you today. Jacob Hester came by and we had a great conversation. By far the best podcast of the year that me and him have done. Dove deep on some stuff, dove deep on Joe Burrow and uh, and the offense and the defense's improvement against Texas A&M. So definitely check out the entirety of that conversation. The clip you heard at the beginning there, Coach O talking about Joe Brady. I just wanted you to keep that in mind because me and me and Jacob talk about that in the episode. Wanted you to have some context for that as well. One thing also to clarify from the episode, we talk at one point about Clyde Edwards Euler and the number of snaps that he's played this season. I was correct. It is five hundred and ninety-one snaps. Uh keep that in mind. That's around the thirty minute mark. That's the sixth most sixth most. That's a man, that is a mouthful. That is the sixth most snaps among power five running backs. So um, we, we talk a little bit about Clyde and his workload and his durability, just to give you some context, that stat was correct. 591 snaps. And, uh, to give you some more context, it's the sixth most against, uh, among power five running backs So, uh, without uh, further ado and more stumbling over my own words, uh, let's go ahead and throw it to the interview with Jacob Hester. Don't forget, please subscribe, rate and review all that fun stuff. All right. Enjoy this conversation with Jacob. All right, it's my pleasure to be joined once again by the great Jacob Hester here on Hey Fighting Podcast. Jacob, uh, I want to get into a lot of stuff with you today because uh, it's, it's a busy time of year. Uh, it's an active time of year for LSU, but I want to look back at AM 1st and use that as a platform to look ahead to Georgia um, because I think we learned a lot about this team on Saturday, particularly defensively, but also kind of offensively. Before that, though, I want to talk about kind of the bigger picture stuff. The iconic image from Saturday night, Joe Burrow running out from the locker room onto the field for the last time in Tiger Stadium. It's an image that our video team captured incredibly. It's an image that's going to stick with everybody for a long time. As a guy that's been there, that's been through the senior day process, a lot of times senior day... I'm up in the press box. No offense to all the seniors. I go get a cup of coffee. I go use the restroom. I get my third trip through the buffet and the media food. And, you know, it's just not that interesting usually. It's ceremonial. This had a different feeling to it. This was an iconic moment. What was your perspective on it?
0: Look and I think you're exactly right. I think that during senior moments there at the end when they run out and they give their mom a rose and their dad a football or whatever the case might be and it's no disrespect but you you know you pay attention to it but it's kind of half-hearted mm-hmm. and you know you 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 want to make sure that they go out the right way and all those things and again you don't want to be disrespectful but even me as a former player who I've sat through a couple of these things I made sure that I was there when number nine ran out of the tunnel yeah. for the final time, and it didn't even have to do like obviously the jersey. And I was in the locker room, and there it was really a small group that actually knew this was going to happen. His brother didn't know. It, I was
1: I was talking to his brother, and he had no idea. I I think maybe his parents knew. But you're right, it was a very, very small group.
0: And so I find out about it, you know, a little bit before it actually happens. And, you know, I'm always in the equipment room. That's why they gave me an LSU equipment sweatshirt, because they're going to put me to work (laughs) as much as I'm in there. But, you know, I I heard about it. And then just hearing Joe talk about it as he's kind of getting ready to do it and something he wanted to do for the people. Of Louisiana and him coming from Ohio and understanding that the crowd would would love him going out there with the EAUX because we all know what that means, you know, from people from Louisiana and him. He he, he wanted to do it the right way. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make sure that it was the proper way to show that he's appreciative of the crowd. And he could have come out there with his you know normal nameplate on the back of his jersey, and he probably would have gotten the loudest ovation we've ever heard for sure. And it was to that point. There was nobody sitting down and. Even for the big time players, I remember you know my senior year. You know, of course, Flynn and Dorsey, all those guys got big time, big time receptions, and um, it didn't compare to what Joe got. No. I mean, Joe before the nameplate even showed. I mean, he everybody's out of their seat and just, just you know, for fans to show their appreciation. But when he pointed to the back. That's one of the loudest non football moments that I've ever heard. Probably the loudest non football yeah. moment in that stadium. And it rivals some of the football moments. And the place goes crazy. And I'm getting th- goosebumps again just thinking about it. Like it's like an instant
1: goosebumps thing.
0: And just the mentality of not only Joe, but the team kind of leading up to it and, and being around the team the entire day, that was just like a feeling like it doesn't matter who you're playing they could be playing the 72 Dolphins here today in Tiger Stadium, (laughs) and the 72 Dolphins are going to go down with their first loss. I mean, that was the kind of feel that it had. And so it really just put a bow on Joe's short career here. I know it was only two years, but for him to do that, and I've told Joe this two different times. As a former player who's from the state of Louisiana, who LSU means literally everything to, I appreciate you for coming in here and buying into everything that Louisiana Has to offer Mm -hmm. for you, you know, saying, you know, I'm from Ohio, but I'm going to buy into every culture, everything that means to be an LSU Tiger. It means a lot to us former players. And I tell, you know, I tell guys this from all the time when they come from out of state, like, thank you for doing it. But the way he did it, you know, to be a total Ohio guy, Mm -hmm. I mean, to grow up in Ohio, to lead Athens to a state championship game, to play at Ohio State, and then to come to Louisiana. I mean, it's truly remarkable. If you sent the movie script to Hollywood, they'd be like, nah, this is too unbelievable. We're not doing it.
1: That's the biggest thing that I've learned throughout this entire process of reporting on Joe and the That's Joe series is, one, it's like it's just too well-scripted. Like The fact that this is a detail that I'll never forget. Uh, I'll be on my deathbed telling my grandchildren about this, but Joe goes in third grade, and he shows up for football, and there's an open spot at quarterback because the third grader from the year before who's going to be in fourth grade, it's a third and fourth grade team, decided not to play football. Okay, that's interesting. Joe's a soft, or a sophomore in high school getting ready to play his sophomore season. He's going to play wide receiver and defensive back. Quarterback opens up because the same kid, the very same kid, decided or, or moved and moved to California. And so the same kid that opened up the spot when Joe was – uh, in third grade opened up the spot when Joe was in 10th grade. And it's just like all these little details that are way too well scripted to be true. But that's kind of what this story is. And that's kind of what makes the story special is it's got all these, these perfectly scripted things. And then there's Joe who is a football robot. Like he is a, I don't, I don't want to say that and take away his humanity. He's very, very human, but it's, it's superhuman the way that he focuses and channels his energy and his consistency. He hasn't had a single game this year under 70% completions. I mean, just the consistency is unreal. And then the last thing that I think is the ultimate accomplishment. I think the EAUX thing is cheesy. I'm not an EAUX guy. You'll never see me write go tigers like that unless it's like for a hashtag or something. He made it cool. Like it is officially cool in my book now, the EAUX. Like if I would have seen someone doing the the Joe Burrow before that on Twitter with the EAUX, I'm like, no, that's not cool. Like I'm not, I'm not about that Joe Burrow. But then he put it on his back and like, can I buy one? Can I buy one of those jerseys? Like I'll I'll sign up for that. So it, well,
0: the the funny part about it too is I think he like put out some fillers like, hey, would this be the right way to say thank you to Louisiana? Because I think he had those same worries yeah. that you had, and literally like I looked at him, I'm like, you'll be a legend if you do this. <laughs> like I hope you know that, and I'm I'm kind of like I don't spell. You know, words with E-A-U-X typically yeah. either. I don't, you know, every word that ends with a no, I don't do that either. Yeah. But when, when they pulled the jersey out of the backpack that it was hiding in, I mean, the hairs on the back of my neck stood up a little <laughs> bit. I'm like, okay, this is officially it. Like, this is that thing now. Yeah. And it it was a perfect moment. And. I don't, I don't know if a senior night will ever touch what it was in Tiger Stadium, and there was so many things, obviously, surrounding the game and the history with A&M from a year ago, and I mean, we could get into detail, everybody knows the history between the two schools recently, mm-hmm. but for when he came out, that, that stadium had a different feel that it's hard to explain, and again, I've been at many, many senior nights with some of the top players to ever play at LSU, but... I'm glad that he recognizes it and the fans recognize that this is a special relationship, a special bond that happened extremely fast. And it really, let, let's let's be honest, yeah, it, it hit fast forward this year. It started for last sure. year. 100%. And people started to appreciate Joe and what he did for this team because from day one, he lets you know, I'm the leader, this is my team, and I'm going to show you how to work your ass off and be the number one quarterback in the country.
1: I don't remember specifically the first time he got – hit and got up like super fast but I think in that moment and I, I don't remember which game it was it happened 20 times last year the first time he did that he he had bought it, the, the people that he hadn't, hadn't already convinced he convinced in that moment the story that I, I talked about on Saturday and we'll, we'll move on to the A M game and, and get on to
0: some Georgia stuff in a second hey, it's a podcast well. we got as much time we got as we, we want. got all the time we don't have the, hard outs we, we got all the time in the world
1: Pam just made some fresh coffee if we need to take a break and get some fresh coffee we get some fresh coffee the thing that I said after the game, and I'll, I'll keep repeating this, I was a freshman in 07 at LSU the fall semester, still trying to find a place to play basketball my spring semester. So I ended up transferring after my fall semester. But it worked out perfectly because I had student tickets and I was there for 07 as you guys did what you did. And I always joked, and my wife has always joked too because she didn't care about football at all, but she was diehard in 07, diehard. Part of it was her freshman year and it's the school spirit and all that stuff. But that season – we joked, ruined football for us because it was so good and so special and so epic, the highs and the lows. I remember after the Arkansas game, the buddy that I was sitting with threw his hat on the field and just lost his mind because he was so upset after that loss. I also remember the Auburn game, sprinting up and down the student section aisles, hugging people that I had never met before and I'll never meet again, which is not a thing that I do. (laughs) Jacob, you know me pretty well. That is not something that I'm privy to do, but just you lose yourself in those moments. I never thought that there would be another season that would give me those same emotions. And this season's done it. And Joe is a huge part of that. The the whole team is a huge part of it. But the way that Joe has handled himself, when he puts Burrow with the EAUX on the back of his jersey and and points to it, he's not doing that saying, look at me, I'm Joe Burrow. He's doing that saying, I'm one of you. And LSU fans screaming back to him are saying, you're one of us. And those kinds of connections are what makes this special and what makes this Unique and what makes college football and LSU football different from anything else we'll ever experience. So I'm grateful to to Joe and to this whole team and this program and Coach O and everything they've done because it's and I, I think a lot of people will feel the same way. It's given us something to be a part of for however many weeks this ride has gone for. It's going to last forever, and so it, that was one of those moments where you know I, I wasn't I didn't see the camera angle until it was posted on on Twitter. But I feel like I was there now, like right behind Joe Burrow. And for the rest of my life, that's going to be an image burned in my head. Like I experienced that. And I know everyone else that's listening probably feels the same way. But it was
0: so good that I was literally in front. And and I said it. Like senior, senior nights, like, again, no disrespect. But I typically, I'm either on the sideline or I'm in the locker room. And I'm not really paying attention and I wanted to make sure that I was out there because I knew it was going to be a roar from the crowd. And I wanted to be there to hear the appreciation the crowd had for Joe. And I was in front of it right there, but even I feel like I was behind it. <laughs> and so I was like two places at once because of the great job that Mac Heron and, and the LSU staff did at, at filming that. And you know, I've heard from a lot of people who've played at other SEC schools, people I played with, with in the NFL, they're like, that is literally the coolest thing that I've ever seen. And look, I mean, you know, guys that I know that got their jersey retired their last game in college still mm-hmm. sent me a message and was like, That's it. Yep. Like that's that's the moment.
1: Can't beat it. You know you know what and we'll we'll wrap it up here and we'll move on. What it is is that senior night is about the seniors and their family, right? It's about Rashard Lawrence, who's put in four years, and his family getting to go on the field and, and embrace. It's about uh, all those guys. Braden Fajoka, who transfers, and his family gets to experience. It's about Colby Brunet, who I saw after the game in tears. I mean, just yeah. absolutely bawling, crying, because he had just played his last game in Tiger Stadium. The, it, that senior night is typically about them, but the Joe moment was so special because it was about Joe. It was about his family, and it was about everybody watching. And it was that kind of collective experience that we all got to share together that we'll we'll never forget and we talked about for for uh, 10 minutes and we'll be talking about for the rest of
0: our lives and, and not to mention it was the most complete performance uh, <laughs> of, of an outstanding football team you mentioned the 07 season and obviously i was very fortunate to be a part of that team and it was a special season and, and you know one that a lot of people point back to as they can remember where they were when it happened that season had the most dominant game up until saturday in my opinion in the 07 virginia tech game yep that, that night that's, on offense, that's a great point. we literally couldn't do any wrong. I mean, I get chill bombs even talking about that mm-hmm. game because it was like utopia for our offense. No matter who it was, it was Keelan, me, Flynn, Bird. It didn't matter. Whoever got the ball looked like a dynamic playmaker, and that's a lot for me to look like that. 49-7, so, was that the score uh, that Yeah, game? 49-7, to and they were a top-10 team in the yeah. country. They were number seven. They mm-hmm. went to the Orange Bowl that year, and sometimes you have those nights, and that was early in the season, though. It's really hard to have that night, your last game, when you're one of the top teams in the country, when you're undefeated, when you've got an SEC championship game already looming. To have that game, your most complete performance, before you head to Atlanta to face Georgia – is maybe more impressive than anything they've done this year. They
1: literally won up y'all scoring one more point and getting to 50 to 7. So there's there's some fitting poetry there. Yeah, they keep
0: breaking like all of our <laughs> records, which I'm not mad at, but I'm like every week it's like first time since 2007, I'm like, yeah, we're not gonna have anything left.
1: So where is Clyde in terms of catches? He's passed you up, right? Catches for yeah. running back. Yeah, he's he second. still hasn't caught Gary James. He, but, but he has a chance. He does. He's have eleven a chance. away
0: from Gary, I believe. Am I actually how many do he have last I think, game? I think he, last game he had, It might be in the single digits now as far as he might be nine away. Now, I believe he had two or three catches. He might be either eight or nine away. The record is 50. 50. That's what Gary James got. Clyde is at 43. Oh, wow. he had more so catches than I thought. Yeah, so, so he's, he's seven, seven away, away. With possibly three games left to play. At least two. I mean, yeah. Like he's going to, I mean, at least two games. But even... At, Heck, he's had games where he's had seven catches this year.
1: He might get there. there. He's had halves where he's gotten seven. He might be there at halftime with the SEC championship. Uh, Of all
0: the records, I mean, there's been so many that have been broken this year, it's hard to pay attention to. That's one of the ones, honestly, I didn't think would ever be touched because Jamarcus threw me the ball like, all the time. <laughs> if he was in trouble, it was a check down or whatever, and I got 35 catches. And what about like, Flynn? Did he, did he ever throw you nah, the ball? No, Flynn, man, he <laughs> he threw it to Richard Dixon. He was worried about the tight end down the field. I mean, he wasn't – he was trying to show the arm off at all times. No check downs for Flynn there. only had 14 and 07s but, um, you know, I'm not shocked by that. But, no. <laughs> Uh, 50 catches as a running back? Yeah, it's crazy. And Eddie Fuller had 38, but Eddie played kind of all over the place. Yeah. I mean, Eddie was a receiver running back. He was. I think of him as a receiver just right. because of the 88 games. Just because he lined up kind of yeah. everywhere. Yeah. So 50 by a running back, and that's at any school. But a school like LSU, I mean, there's there's a couple of years where the running back was MIA in the passing game. Yep. Uh, that's one of the more impressive stats to be able – and Joe, and I heard them talking on the sidelines and the relationship those two guys have, and I know we're going to get into Clyde a little bit later, but – the relationship they have, I heard them talking on the sidelines and Joe was talking to Clyde and he knew exactly where he was going to be. And he said, you know, I couldn't really see you, but I knew you're going to be and I knew." and he wasn't trying to be funny. He's like, I, I know, you know, how tall you are. And I knew where I had to throw it mm-hmm. and didn't even see him, but knew he was going to be there. Yep. And that might sound crazy and it might sound reckless. But when you have that chemistry, when you have that trust, when Darren Sproles was in San Diego with us, Philip would throw it to a spot because he knew number 43 was going to be there and he knew number 43 was going to do what he was supposed to do mm-hmm. it wasn't going to be a, a, a MA a missed assignment and when you had that man you're talking about a quarterback that can just throw it to a spot and those guys are there that's the ultimate chemistry well, I mean you know I don't mean to make
1: this a basketball podcast but like anyone who's ever played pickup basketball if, if you've played high school basketball you know there's guys that okay that guy's gonna be on the wing like if I drive in the paint here he's gonna be on the wing and I can just throw it there and he's gonna be there and he's gonna knock down the shot or you know if you're playing with Marlon Taylor on the basketball team I know I can throw it to the top of the backboard he'll go get it it's the same way with with football guys and probably even more intense because there are so many more factors and so many more variables with 22 guys on the field as opposed to 10 on the court that that kind of chemistry like it may sound trite or it may sound cliche but it goes a, a long way and I think that's you always, you know, before the season, I talked about the second year bump with Joe Burrow. Okay, I didn't expect this kind of second year bump. But that's part of the reason you get a second year bump is because you've got guys that have played together for so long. Why do you think Joe Burrow threw to Justin Jefferson so much last year? They worked together all summer and he had so much more chemistry with him than the other guys. Well, all the other guys worked with him this summer and now you're seeing, uh, seeing that benefit pay off. And
0: also within this year, and it's a great point you made because it seems like that's changed. Like there's been points in the season where Terrace Marshall was the guy he mm-hmm. probably trusted the most. Mm-hmm. And then Jets, obviously. And lately, obviously, it's Benjamin Chase and and Clyde and it's been Thaddeus Moss. You look at the Mississippi State game and you know, they had a plan to get Thad involved. And it, it just that's impressive when it's been somebody different. Yep. That he has that trust, he has that chemistry in because that doesn't go away. Like when you have that chemistry, you have that trust, and you build it with multiple people, like you said, because they worked their butts off this summer together. I mean, deep, What? Are, what? how's a defense going to be right? Yep. That's that's
1: something that, you know, as, as the next guy takes over for Joe, and I don't want to get too far ahead here. If it's Miles Brennan, um, I don't want to get too far ahead. But that's going to be the first step. You have to develop that. Because once you develop that, my dad, who's a basketball coach, always put it this way. Um, there's There's four different levels. There's unconscious incompetence. That means you're you're bad and you don't know it. There's conscious incompetence, which means you're you're bad, but you know it, which is yeah. progress. Then there's conscious competence where you you know you're good, but you have to think about it. Okay. That's where Joe was last year. He was good, they were good, but they had to think about it. They had to think, right. I make my read, okay, now I gotta get it to okay. And he only had that little bit of unconsciousness with with Jets. He he would yeah. know Jets is gonna be here, he's gonna be my safety guy. This year they're at unconscious competence. They're good, they don't have to think about it. And they had that foundation from last year they took the next step up and that's why you know you, you said it's been a different guy different every game that's because now Joe can and he he said this to me he can now look at the defense see what they're doing and know instantly where to go and he doesn't have to think about oh Clyde is you know Clyde likes it here he just knows that yeah. intuitively and he can just put it there and that's why this offense looks so effortless uh, that's why it looks so easy. It's not that easy. But they've that's put right. they, they've put in they've put in the hours of work to get to that level. And so whoever's next, if it's Miles, if it's whoever, um, they're gonna have to develop that foundation first to make it look easy. And uh and, and Joe's put in that legwork, his receivers have put in that legwork, the lines put in that legwork to protect for him and uh and it's it's paid unbelievable dividends this year.
0: I mean, again, all the stats, it's hard to pick just one, but one you've already mentioned Never been under 70% completion percentage this year is ludicrous. I think his lowest was Utah State in a day that he literally could have done anything that he wanted. Yep. And I think that was 71%. So it hasn't even been 70 Just a real off day for Joe. Yeah, a real off day. 71% bunch of touchdowns. But, (laughs) I mean, that – it's insane. And – Look, I mean, and you're not picking on the next opponent because you know I think a lot of Jake Fromm yep. and preseason talk. I mean, I thought Jake Fromm didn't didn't get his due. He's had like four games in a row where he's been under 50% yep. just to kind of have a comparison. And so the 71% being your lowest is – I mean, it's almost like cheating. It's like stealing. Yeah, I was I, I, I tracked
1: this stat yesterday, and we'll, we'll move on from Joe and how amazing he's been and how he's about to win the Heisman and he's the best quarterback in the country and maybe the best like Heisman winning quarterback in history. We'll get into some of that stuff later in the week in different situations. But his – I was looking at his streak of incompletions. I think this stat's been around. He's thrown incomplete passes on consecutive attempts just 18 times all season and only four times has he had three straight incompletions. And that, that doesn't even factor drops and batted balls and all that stuff. So – Consistency is insane. Uh, it's been unbelievable. When he
0: has back-to-back incompletions, we kind of start looking around like, "What's going on here?" <laughs> I, I'm
1: at the point now where, like, if he starts like six of eight, or like, God forbid, six of nine, I'm like, "Okay, is is everything okay?" And then all of a sudden, he hits like 15 in a row, and you kind of forget and you go back in your own world. Um, that's just the standard he set, and it's been fun to watch. It'll be fun to to see how he does against Georgia this week, and we'll get into that in a second. I want to touch on a, a couple things. Let's because we've been going on for a while here. Um, let's talk about Joe Brady, because it came up yesterday. Coach O was asked about it. I think it's come up a couple of times in the last couple of days. There was a report out of Texas, I think maybe, that Texas was looking at Joe Brady as as a candidate for offensive coordinator. I can tell you this right now. If you are hiring an offensive coordinator anywhere in the country and you don't think of the name Joe Brady, first of all, you're, you're dumb and you should be fired. But there's a difference between thinking of a name And the execution of it and getting it done and so coach always asked about it and he had a great quote yesterday he said we're a step ahead um you mentioned that it came up on radio again today i I didn't hear that on radio that was on the morning show i guess on 104.5 what was the conversation there
0: yeah and so they asked him about it and he 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 came out and he said like scott woodward and i have had a conversation about it Uh, i believe he said that a plan is being put in place right now was the actual quote that he said on otb this morning and that lets you know that this isn't new right and when he says we're a step ahead scott Woodward, coach o, they've had a discussion of how important coach brady is to this football team and the success they've had this year and really the entire coaching staff you talk about chemistry that doesn't happen just with players as coaches as well with coach insminger and coach brady but there's a plan in place man and it would be hard for me to sit here and say that Joe Brady's going anywhere because, look, and two, look, he's having a ball, man. Yeah. Anybody that's ever talked to Joe Brady, and don't think that you know his time with the Saints doesn't mean something to him. I mean, he loves South Louisiana, yep. and it would have to be just a different scenario than any other college OC job. He's not leaving LSU for a college OC job, and so I don't know what his end goal is, mm-hmm. what his aspirations are, but if it's in college as a coordinator – it's gonna be at LSU.
1: Yeah. I, I look, I, I don't wanna speak for Joe, I don't wanna speak for Coach O or, or Scott Woodward or any of those guys. I don't have any insight onto what the future is. But the fact that Coach is coming out and answering it that way, that we're a step ahead, that gives me all the confidence I yeah. need that they're
0: Because if it was nothing, as you know, it'd be like we'll worry about that after the season. Yep. That would have been the quote, but it wasn't the quote because there's already been discussions on, okay, what do we do here to make sure this thing stays the same?
1: Yep, there's a level of confidence there coming from, from Coach O that if he's confident, I feel pretty confident too. And uh, I look, I can't talk about Joe Brady without the, uh, I think it's required at this point. If you talk about Joe Brady, you have to give credit to Steve Ensminger too for the unselfishness, the job that he's done. Um, the the This is a, this is an ego-driven sport in an ego-driven industry. And the starts from the top, really, with Coach O, and it's pervasive throughout the program. The ability to set aside ego and sacrifice for the team, the one team, the one heartbeat, has been phenomenal all year. So uh, anytime I talk about Joe Brady, i got to throw Steve Ensminger in there because he's right. been phenomenal. Uh, we're going to get into the, the the Georgia game in a second here, but I want to do two more things. Let's take a Clyde edwards Either victory lap because – you and I were on this early and I don't know if like I fed off of your confidence or <laughs> I really don't think I did though. Cause I remember watching the spring game and be like, Oh, this dude's about to be a problem next yeah. year because they weren't checking down to him in the passing game. They were targeting him in the passing game. And I was like, okay, if this guy's going to be targeted in the passing game, that tells me something a little different. And then I remember last year against Georgia and what he showed in that game. And you know, I, I just felt going into the season, I like the freshman backs. I like Chris Curry. I like the guys they have there. They're going to, help certainly, but Clyde's a guy, man, and I would be wrong and I'd be lying to you if I said I expected this, the twelve hundred plus yards and like we were talking about threatening the reception's record. Um but I thought he would be good. You thought he would be good. He has been awesome. So let's just let's just flex a little bit on the 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 people that were sitting in questions in the mailbags early in the season saying, Oh, when's Clyde gonna lose his spot? He ain't losing his spot. He 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 held his
0: spot down and he did more than that. Look I Doing radio daily, I'm not a fan of the guy that says I was right all the time and never says I was wrong. I think you definitely have to admit when you're wrong. But in this case, I will take the victory lap <laughs> because of all the doubters. For sure. And you know this, I've said it on this podcast before, Devin White in 2018 in fall camp told me Clyde's a problem. And he told me it's a problem because you lose him and then he's on you and he's so strong. He's got 17 different moves. What do you do as a linebacker? And Devin White is the best linebacker to ever play at LSU, one of the best defensive players of all time at LSU and in the SEC. And when he tells you that, you you pay attention, Mm -hmm. right? And then, look, Nick Brissett had a good year last year. I don't want to take anything away from Nick, and he was maybe better suited for the offense that they were running. Yep. Not but quite as spread as this one. It was no. And but we saw Clyde have his moments and they spread it out a little bit different in the Georgia game, right? And we saw throughout the season he had his time, he had his moments. But once this offense went to what suits him, I knew he was set up for a big season. And you know, we're able to go to spring practice, like you mentioned. We're able to see false scrimmages. That's, that's true. That's and true. And so when we see false scrimmages and he's making really good defenders look silly out there in space. You know, other people don't get to see that, but it makes you, okay, this guy is set up for it. And all the other things. One, he's an outstanding young man. Yep. Two, he plays with a chip on his shoulder, which I love. And it's not a, you know, a woe is me. No, it's a, I'm going to prove you wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm going to prove you wrong and I'm going to make you look foolish. And he does that. And... The other, the freshman running back. Look, John Emery and Ty Davis Price have already had moments at LSU. They're going to have many more for sure at LSU. For sure. But everybody was wondering. It was almost like people were putting bets at okay, what game is Clyde going to get replaced? Is it game two? Is it game three? No. He's not going to get replaced. He's the second leading rusher in the SEC. He's the best running back in the SEC. And if you want to have that conversation with me to prove me wrong, I'll set up a, a booth outside of the <laughs> sports administration building, and you can come talk to me. Let's do it. Because I'm going to prove every single one of you wrong. Because he is the best back in the SEC. Well, look look at this thing that I just put up. I know this is a podcast. Y'all can't see this.
1: T Bob Abay at T Bob Fifty Three put out a, a video of Clyde quoting one of my tweets saying, reminder that Clyde makes the wildest cuts. This is an insane run. This is a, I'll describe it to you. This is a six yard pickup maybe, but it's out of the shotgun. Clyde goes right, cuts right, immediately cuts back left behind the line of scrimmage, makes like five guys miss and picks up like a solid six yards. Anyone else in the country, that's a loss of three. Loss of four.
0: So that's an inside zone run, and you get penetration in the middle there. The defense line does a nice job of pushing the offensive line back. There's a guy on the edge who's a free defender, and a lot of backs, like you mentioned, you either get a two-yard loss or at best you get back to the line of scrimmage because what do you do? Well, you duck your head, and you try to go get back to the line of scrimmage. Clyde knows his talents. Clyde knows his strengths. He realizes that you know what I can get back to backside because I have Thaddeus Moss cutting off the backside in a zone run. Thaddeus Moss has been a hell of a blocker this year. I'm going to trust <laughs> number 81 and the fact that I can get back to where you know originally I didn't think that I could get. And he takes
1: the hole that the quarterback would run in if he keeps it it's like he thinks oh this hole's not open let's see if I can get to the hole on the other side of the line of scrimmage where the quarterback should be running and he gets there with one of the most incredible change of directions I've ever seen when he hits his right foot and then goes back to the left it's unbelievable
0: and something look how many times we talk about he changes his running style in the middle of a game the Alabama game which by the way I'll remind y'all should go down as one of the most legendary LSU performances like individual player wise I hope we talk about it 10 years from now but he can change his running style in the middle of a game if he spins and he gets them five times he realizes on that sixth time they're gonna be ready for it yep. I'm just gonna run over him or yep. I'm gonna jump code or I'm gonna do something different it's the same thing here he knows okay it's not there but you know what, if Joe would have kept this thing, this is where he would have tried to hit it. So this is what I'm going to do. I mean, it's it's no, unbelievable, I tell you, man. I always joke and say I didn't have this in my repertoire cuz it's true I didn't. <laughs> I say, I didn't, true, I didn't. <laughs> there ain't many cats Nobody that have this, has in, this their in their
1: repertoire, man. I don't know. I am not a talent evaluator. This video is up to uh, I'll, I'll put a link to the the video in the episode description since we've talked about it so much. This video is up to almost fifteen thousand views. I've probably had a thousand of them, and if, and I'm not Italian about evaluator. If I'm an NFL GM and I look at this run and I look at Clyde's body of work this year, I mean he's how many running backs in the country are there's, ahead of him on the draft board? Okay,
0: so there's eighty running backs in the country right now that can. Whatever the offensive line blocks, they can get those seven yards. If it's blocked for seven, they can get seven. Now, yeah. there's some that can't. There's some that can't find the hole and they don't have that vision. Yeah. But there's 80 running backs that can, if it's blocked for seven, can get seven. There's not many that, when it's nothing there, can get six <laughs> yards, can get seven yards. And that's what NFL teams look for. What can you do that's not the given? Because I can go out and I can sign Joe Blow off the street at the running back position. Yep and he can get me seven yards if it's blocked. What can you do when nothing's blocked, when nothing's there, and Clyde gets seven yards? And we're
1: not even talking about the character. We're not even talking right. about the pass catching and the blocking and the knowledge and the durability. That's not even any of the stuff that the we're durability,
0: – The durability. How many plays has Clyde Edwards-Helayer <laughs> played this year? Look, there's been like four games. I'm going to give you that information. because because, I, because I've played the running back position, and I was very fortunate when I was at LSU, we had a committee. Yeah. Now I, I That's got how it's always been at LSU. Yeah, like the four I, horsemen I was fortunate every year. To get a, the bulk of the carries, I probably you know sixty five percent of the plays. But I always knew I had Charles, I had Keelan, I had Richard Murphy, I had Trenton Holiday, I had all these guys that could come in and give me a blow. And oh yeah, they're elite running backs as well. Now obviously you have two freshmen who are elite, but in this offense, in this moment, Clyde is the veteran running back who they trust, and his usage rate has to be through the roof. Yeah, this he's played three hundred and forty snaps in
1: uh in passing situations. I, I think I can just pull up his total snap count by clicking on this thing. Five hundred and ninety one snaps, does that sound right? And how many a lot. games? I think he's probably played more than that too. This is probably filtered even five ninety one. <laughs> but five ninety one is a ton in, in uh in twelve games and the way this may just be the snaps that he's been I don't know. I'll 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 try to clarify that. But Durability has been unbelievable. Um, okay, let's let's talk one more thing on the A and M game, and then we'll talk a little bit of Georgia. The defense uh, was on a different level, and me and my kind of dumb writer's brain, I want to chalk it up to well, they wanted to get back at Texas A and M, and there was some revenge factor there, and they were more motivated, and you know they heard Kellen Mond's comments all summer, and they feasted on that. But there was something else going on there too. I mean schematically it, it looked like they were on point they were flying to the ball um, it felt like they had found their identity if that makes sense the ability to bring in Mo Hampton at safety get Grant Delpit closer to the line of scrimmage Jacoby Stevens closer to the line of scrimmage Jacoby and Grant have kind of had to cover each other all year as the deep post guy and then they've kind of had to adapt from there but it felt like having Mo back there um, in certain situations having Carey play as well as he did sort of took them to the next level and then you got just consistent push from up front and then the other thing that I kind of thought that I saw Patrick Queen Jacob Phillips felt like they played a perfect game just in terms of their their run fits and seeing everything right we've seen games this year where they've they've missed a gap they've they've missed a step here it felt like every step that they took was perfect and on point what did you see from the defense as a whole against AM that's a pretty good AM offense I mean that's a Jimbo Fisher offense it's been scoring 30-plus points a game. They couldn't do
0: anything against LSU. What did you see from the defense? So anytime you start talking about a team getting better and playing their best and figuring things out this late in the season, people tell you, oh, you're a fool. If you don't know who you are by now, it's not going to happen. And I think that is narrow-minded to think that way because things can happen, things can evolve. Look, you start talking about all the injuries, like with Grant and Caleb on or Char Lawrence, they fought through this year. It's probably the first time they've all three been fully healthy this year on the good, field. Yeah. And that's you know that's three of your studs, right? When you add a Mo Hampton who shows flashes in, in a start and a guy that you hadn't seen a lot from because he has the broken hand, he's a special teams player. Oh, man, we can move Jacoby we can move Grant because we got this guy, Mo Hampton, who is Mr. Football in Tennessee, doing some things. Mm-hmm. It opens things up. So to say that they can't figure things out this late in the season, I think is so narrow-minded because uh, Damone Clark's got a new role, right? And he's rushing the passer and getting sacks. And guys are doing different things, and guys are finally healthy for the first time together. And you can now get creative when you have that other player step up. The Todd Harris injury is something we don't talk about. That was a killer. Yeah, absolutely devastating. I even said, you know, if you have a Todd Harris, if you have a John Battle, a veteran safety on this team or somebody you can trust – you can do different things with three and seven, and sometimes when you don't have that guy, you can't do those things. Yeah. And to have Mo Hampton come in and give you, even if it's, if it's ten, fifteen plays, and you can be different with three and seven, that opens up so many different things. And so you saw some of that. You also saw number eighteen go out there with a purpose. Yep. Caleb Vaughn had a little, a little swagger walk to him before the game, and I remember talking to him like, "This guy's about to have a monster game," and he did. I mean, there was times they couldn't they couldn't block him. And credit to the games that they were doing. They were doing some different stuff. Yeah. Some more inside rushes. And yep. I can tell you, as somebody who who had to protect the quarterback, if you rush upfield with me, I'll take that all day long. Yeah. That that to me is you did my job for me. Yeah. Now there's some speed rushers that can get on the edge and they can get to a quarterback. Marcel Brooks said it once. He did. Yeah. And I'm but I'm terrified of you going inside. I am absolutely <laughs> terrified point. because if you get me going upfield, I'm not. I can't redirect. Mm-hmm. You got all the momentum. I'm. I don't know what you're going to do. You basically know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And it's almost like some of the most terrifying moments in, in my life are when I'm at wing on PP and Ed Reed, his pigeon-toed <laughs> self, is lined up across from. Him. I'm like, oh man, this guy's about to be a problem. And yeah. You're terrified that he's going to go up and under. Yeah. If Ed Reed bull rush you, or if he went around, you're like, that's fine. But he was so good at getting you to go upfield, turn your numbers to the sideline, and going underneath you that you tried to play that. And then when you play that because you're terrified of it, because you showed it on mm-hmm. tape, well, then the edge is going to be a little bit softer Takes because other, right. I'm leaning inside, making sure I take that inside away. And so the edge is going to be a little bit softer. You're going to have an easier time with that speed rush. And you saw him switch it up and do some different things. And you know that's not just individual. Sometimes the the, the call makes you the contained player and you can't do it. But when you can do it, Caleb on did it at a very high level on Saturday.
1: Yep, it made a huge difference, and uh, I think this is a defense going into this Georgia game as we transition into the actual SEC championship game that's coming up on Saturday. This is a defense that seems like it's it's everything is moving in the right direction. I was just looking as you were talking at the stats. I think the significance of Dave Aranda doing this against Texas A&M matters too because if you remember the 2016 game, they scored 39. He was furious after that game. Obviously, last year, they scored 74 yeah it took seven overtimes but he wasn't happy with the defense even even in that middle year in 2017 I think they they put up yeah they put up 21 points which I'm having trouble remembering that game specifically but I'm sure he wasn't happy after the game giving up 21 it it, it felt like he dialed up what he's been wanting to dial up all year with this team on Saturday against Texas A&M and they felt like the aggressor they felt like they were covering the whole field and it was fun to watch and, and uh it was it was really fun to watch. Georgia poses a different challenge, I think. You talked about from some of the struggles that he's had uh in recent games, um being at fifty percent or below for what the last four or five games. Yep. Um, you have a, a nice little detailed note there on just kind of the the the, the defenses they've played against, or uh, do you have the defenses or the offenses they played? Against? So the offenses, okay. uh,
0: but the, the defenses they've played against, uh, when you, when you look at them, the ones that rank in the in the top twenty-five as far as total defense, I mean, they have really really struggled to, you know, get yards and bunches. And the one outliner, Cager, had a big game against Florida, who's the number eight. Uh, I believe, defense ranked in the, in the country. the out, right? In out. Yeah. yeah, and he was the guy. I mean, he was the guy that stepped up. And so, yeah, they've had their struggles against the top defenses that they faced as far as picking up yards. And the thing that was impressive, though, about their offense in the Florida contest was they were nails on third down. Mm-hmm. And that's something that if you run that style of offense, right, if you're a pro-style, time of possession, our defense is going to win us games type of offense – what you have to do is convert on third downs because it keeps drives alive, obviously. It keeps that time of possession, and it keeps that other offense off the field.
1: Yeah, you look at them in conference, they average 25.3 points per game on offense in conference games. It's about half of what LSU's average. I mean, no one's really in LSU territory. Um, From we, we know he's a known quantity, even though he's struggled a little bit. Do you have any, any reason that he would have struggled the way that he has lately? Because – The big thing for him was his accuracy. I mean, he was one of the most accurate quarterbacks in the conference. I remember last year looking at accuracy stats. He was always at the top. And then to struggle to complete passes the way he has in the last few games, is it personnel? Is it the fact that they lost so many receivers? Are they getting pressured? What's? Can you pinpoint why he's – I know you're not a Georgia football expert, but it's it's a – it's curious to me no
0: it has been and, and James Coley has been with Kirby Smart at three different stops he was a GA here at LSU and Kirby was here they were together with the Dolphins they've been together at Georgia and uh James Coley is a guy who's co-offense coordinator a year ago with Jim Chaney so it's not like he's new but it was weird how long it took them to get into rhythm and how long it took for them to kind of let Jake Fromm be free is almost like they were protecting him like he was a young quarterback, and he's as better in a quarterback in the SEC as you'll find starting as a true freshman. And when you turn on the tape early, they were being real conservative with what they were doing and really not giving Jake Fromm a lot of throws that were going to have a high success rate. And when you do that, um, look, it's hard to get in a rhythm as a quarterback. And so when you watch their tape, it was a little – little concerning with the fact that you don't trust your very veteran quarterback. And I I realized the receivers, not only are they new, a lot of them are transfers, right. And guys that were new to the program, but early in the season, they were just not allowing him to kind of spread his wings and be that quarterback that a lot of us thought they were going to have. And look, when you have DeAndre Swift and that defense to lean on, you can understand how you get in that situation where you think, you know what, we're going to do it a different way. But you know, he's had some struggles as of late as well. And, it's hard to pinpoint because he's a guy that's been so successful in his first two years in the SEC. You mentioned them being good on third downs. They're third in the SEC on third down
1: conversions behind LSU and Alabama, who are kind of the two juggernaut offenses, and they're second in the red zone. So he's good in those yeah. marginal situations that are difficult. Um, he, he can win a game. I mean, we, we know what he's capable of, so that's going to be a, a huge challenge uh, for LSU. Let's look at the, the kind of the inverse. You know, to me, I don't know who can slow down this LSU offense – like we were talking about with Joe, 70% or plus every game. Um, I, I just don't know that there is a formula to to beat this offense. He, he's good when he gets pressured. He's right. good when he gets hit. He's good against the Blitz. He's good when he drop guys into coverage. I don't know what the, the, the game plan is, but you do have some information that you pulled there on – on Georgia's defense and the offenses they've faced, and kind of how it it stacks up statistically. So I'll let you uh, I'll let you take it from here.
0: I'm actually going to put you on the spot, and I know this is your okay. podcast, and probably not the way we should do That's this, okay. but I think it's going to be kind of fun. Okay. Of the offenses that Georgia's faced, one, who do you think is the top ranked offense, and where do they kind of fall? Okay. And, you um, know, no Price is right rules here. You can go over, and we're not going to penalize you for that. Okay. Well, I, I'm cheating a little bit. I do
1: have the list in front of me of all the teams they've played, the top-ranked offense that Georgia has played this year, oh my gosh, I'm just looking at this list of teams they've played, and I'm kind of doing process of elimination. I'm going to say Texas A&M. Texas
0: A&M is the best offense they've played. That would be not even close to the top offense they've played. Okay, how about uh, about (laughs) Notre Dame?
1: Let's go with Notre Dame.
0: No, Notre Dame is actually number two. Okay. The top offense that they've played because – I got a feeling you're not going to oh, get there. wait, I, th- I think I know it okay. now.
1: Kentucky? No. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Arkansas
0: me. State at number 44 <laughs> is the yeah, top I've offense never gotten there. they've faced. And, look, I do think Georgia's defense is really good. This isn't a, me trying to take anything they've done away
1: we're going with total offense here, by the way. This so is total. Okay. This is
0: this is uh, total offense and rankings. So they were
1: 43? 44. 44. Okay, so g- going into the LSU game, Texas A&M was in the 40s, so they must have dropped oh, fairly significantly they after. Did. Okay.
0: I'll give you the full list. I'm just here. trying
1: to make sure that I don't sound that dumb. No, I'll, I'll,
0: <laughs> I'll give you the full list here. And, again, this is giving you the numbers. Vanderbilt, 123. Murray State, who I didn't account into this, but I did Racers. look it up. In the FCS – in the FCS they're 90th in total offense. Okay. Arkansas State at 44, Notre Dame at 47, Tennessee at 100, South Carolina at 96, Kentucky at 80, Florida at 54, Mizzou at 94, Auburn at 53, A&M 71. Oh, A&M They drop to rough 70. Week with one. LSU. Georgia Tech 127. That comes to an average of 80th in the country. So,
1: what's LSU? Are they Is LSU's offense, are they in the top 80?
0: Uh, Yeah. Yeah, they're in the top (laughs) 80. I think they uh, come in uh, number two, if I'm not mistaken, as far as total offense. And so we say that to say number two, 560 yards a game. It's going to be a different challenge for this Georgia defense. And I'm not, look, individual matchups, when they happen, they happen. But when you look at this list, Georgia's also faced a lot of backup quarterbacks. They faced Lynn Bowden at Kentucky, who Lynn Bowden is a stud at what he's been able to do, but that's a receiver playing quarterback. Uh, Kyle Trask at Florida, although I do think Kyle Trask is a better option there. You know, Mizzou, South Carolina was down to their third quarterback. Tennessee started a, a freshman against them, and then Garantano came into the contest. So when you look at who they've played as far as best quarterback, it'd be between... Kellam Bo Nix and maybe in book at Notre Dame
1: yeah well they're number four in total defense and they're good don't get me wrong they're they're SEC championship caliber defense but I think that's that's good perspective. You have the flip side of that, right? I with do. LSU?
0: So, the defensive ranks, which defense do you think? I think this will be easier for you. For LSU? Let me pull up. Which uh, defense do you think is the top defense that LSU's faced? The
1: top defense that LSU has faced. I'm going to pull up the game log you just know, to make it easier. You know the schedule. You're just
0: trying to cheat. Um, Is it Florida? Florida at number eight okay. is the top defense that they face. And so, when you start to break it down and you know, you can't break down one without the other. Georgia Southern 71, Texas 74, Northwestern State, again, we didn't take the SCS opponents into this. They were 116 in the SCS. Vandy at 98, Utah State at 76, Florida at 8, Mississippi State at 68, Auburn at 16, Alabama at 18, Ole Miss at 60, Arkansas at 124, and Texas A&M at 36. That is an average of 59th ranked Versus 80. Versus 80. So there's pretty pretty big difference there. And, you know, who wins out? Because this is the best test for both teams. It's going to be the best test as far as total defense and total offense, right, for both teams. LSU's uh, LSU's played better competition, right, with the Florida, Auburn, and Alabama actually yeah. being ranked there. You're talking about 44th for the Georgia defense and a quarterback like Joe Burrow like they haven't seen. And, look, we always hear defense travels. Well, this offense travels as well, and they show that on the road, Texas, at Alabama, at Mississippi State, obviously at Vanderbilt, and, uh, and Ole Miss as well. So, again, nothing taken away from the Georgia defense. But when you look at the numbers, I mean, there there is some, some red lights that start to flash a little bit.
1: Yep, and I think if Georgia's going to have success, it's going to be following the Auburn game plan, which I don't know if it's game plan or if it was LSU's execution because LSU – that that was their quote-unquote worst offensive performance and joe burrow's 32 of 42 for 321 and a touchdown but they did some different things they they showed kind of the exotic look with yep. the the stacked linebackers it took
0: about what three four series for lsu to really adjust took about.
1: them time to get in a rhythm uh they dropped massive numbers into coverage uh but then they opened themselves up to the run and clyde edwards either gashed them and then joe kind of dink and dink I, I don't say dink and dunk he just kind of took took what was given and and took the shorter, right. choppier routes, and then hit with the the big plays with Jamar. Um, maybe Georgia tries some of that, but I don't I don't know Georgia's scheme. I don't know their personnel. That's not my So forte. their personnel
0: plays really good as a unit. And we talk about chemistry, and that's important. They play really good as a unit. Any Georgia guy that I talk to, be it a guy who covers the team or plays for the team, I'm like, okay, give me the guy. And they're like, no, it's a group of guys. Okay. There's not really one guy. But I'll say that to say this. Auburn was able to roll out a three-one-seven because those three in the front for Auburn could get it done as far as three. three versus five. Yeah. There's not another team in the country, in my personal opinion, that has three guys like that. Now, there's and yeah. m tried to do it, and it didn't they work. They did, and it didn't work because they don't have those guys. There's some edge rushers that you could say are better than, than Auburn had, right? But as far as interior guys, you're not going to find three better. And so even that is something that other teams will try to do, but they're going to struggle to do it.
1: It'll be a it'll be a fun chess match. Uh, you know, speaking of, we talked about Joe Brady earlier. I know George's defensive coordinator is a finalist for the Broyles. Joe Brady's a finalist for the Broyles, so you'll get kind of that chess match there. Um, you'll you'll get Joe Burrow and in, in kind of a big game situation, which he's he's been so good in. But you'll you'll get, you know, if you look at the Auburn game, Bo Nix really struggled in that game. You could tell he was a freshman. This ain't a freshman. Georgia doesn't have a freshman at quarterback. They got a, a guy in Jake Fromm who's who's proven and can win big games and put up numbers in big games. So it'll be fun. Uh,
0: it'll be a lot of fun. I. What do you think atmosphere wise? I, I know. We're yeah, you know. Here. So eleven I've played in that game in 05. Oh, I mean, it was heavy. 05 Georgia. was
1: Georgia. Yeah. Oh uh, seven was Tennessee. Eleven was Georgia. Georgia, right? Um, and I remember at eleven being surprised at. To me, if I'm remembering correctly, this is so long ago, and I've got so many other things that have... uh, Multiple sports, multiple things. Multiple children, (laughs) most importantly. um, I I think I remember being surprised at how many more Georgia fans were there in 11. I I thought it would be more 50-50, and I think it was more like 70-30, 75-25. It might be that. I mean, LSU fans don't have any problem traveling. It's just a matter of, you know, have the Georgia fans scooped up all the tickets and they they can get there and... Uh, and and they're willing to pay a little bit more because they don't have to travel as much. It right. and- it's
0: another big reason why going on the road and regardless of what you think about Texas now as a football team, that was a big stage. Yeah. That was the the game of the week. That was Herb Street and the boys. That was that crew, right? And that was a, a stadium that you went out and you scored points at Alabama. Again, obviously at Ole Miss, at Mississippi State and Vanderbilt, not the same atmosphere, but also it was away from your place and that offense traveled. If there's games to point to, look, we were both at the Alabama game. I was on the sideline the entire time. That atmosphere never died down It was a very at good atmosphere. And so is it, is it something to pay attention to? Yeah, probably. You're in a dome. You're an hour away from Athens. But having that veteran as your signal caller, as your leader, that obviously helps when you're in this situation. And it helps that LSU is no longer a huddle team. Yeah. But that, in O five, we were a point. big huddle team. That's a great right? point. Right. And Jamarcus struggled as far as to like to get the verbiage out to let us know because you there's a lot of things you couldn't hear. And we were a big adjustments, uh, have two plays called, kill to the other play type deal. When you run that offense, it is tough when you're basically on the road. But this offense doesn't huddle and it's mostly signals and something you don't have to worry about. So I'm not literally going to drop my mic
1: on this one but this is a mic drop kind of moment and we can get out of here i was looking at this yesterday and as we were talking about that it made me think of it looking at joe burrow's home and road splits his home splits are fantastic he's completed 79 percent of his passes 326 yards a game 22 touchdowns three interceptions 199 rating on the road in five games he's averaging 450 or neutral sites 415 yards a game 22 touchdowns three interceptions 207.1 rating Joe Burrow is very, very good at home. Yep. He is even better on the road and, and in a neutral site. And I think he's going to do – I don't know if he'll do that, 415 and 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 you know 78% of his passes. But he might not be far off from it and as good as George's defense is. And if he does that, LSU is going to win the SEC championship. He's going to win the Heisman, and uh, it's going to be a fun month of December. So uh, hopefully that's exactly what happens, and uh, and we look
0: smart once again. And that's kind of on brand for Joe Burrow, right? Goes into somebody else's stadium. It's like, oh, you don't think I can do this? Okay, give me 60 minutes. We'll talk after. Uh, As a
1: wise man once said, that's Joe. And uh, (laughs) that wasn't a plug. But if you want to check out the That's Joe content, feel free to uh, to do that. Hester, we went for a long time, but I feel like that was worth uh, every bit of the
0: 52 minutes that – i've got here we almost set a record i mean i know you've had an hour with that's joe but you had so much content that's joe was an hour to be close (laughs) to that
1: (laughs) that's joe was an hour and nine um which was uh, a heavily edited hour and nine too but i I probably could have cut it down a little bit but this one once i add an intro once i kind of add like the you know the little bells and whistles maybe we'll get a little bit closer there uh and uh at this point, I'm just waffling to try to stretch it out. So let's go ahead and wrap it up. Hester, appreciate your time, man. Hopefully next time we talk, LSU is uh, SEC champion and getting ready to uh, play somebody good in the college football playoff.
0: Looking forward to it. Always a pleasure. All right, man. Light, of
1: old, We fight the hold the glory of the purple and gold. Come on, you us. I said fight, fight, fight. Victory for victory for LSU. We are number
0: number one.
1: Victory.